until yesterday, it was a really beautiful type of singing. Uh, and, and they had overcome fear in a way that was truly cathartic. Well, and the reason I asked you because I saw this one particular mother, and uh, she's really seemed to be fierce about the fact that she even made the statement and said, uh, I feel that our generation has failed, that something that we did not do to keep up with things in order for, to at least try to prevent this. And now the principal effect is that it's now affecting us, not just emotionally, but politically and economically as well. And so therefore, uh, with her friends and her peers, she's gotten with them, and they're all saying, not just the women, but the men as well. Some of them feel afraid to even come up to do some different things, but they feel that it's going to affect their lifestyles with other uh, countries coming in to affect things to change their whole generation of living. She made this statement. Yeah, I, I was actually, when you started speaking, I was going to refer to that, uh, that, uh, that interview. Mm -hmm. uh, and I, I think that there are quite a few people in Egypt from, I, and then again, anecdotal, I know quite a few Egyptians uh, who feel that way, that uh, the 18 and 23 year olds have to do this because the 40 and 50 year olds <laughs> for, for, uh, f uh, failed to do this 20, 30 years ago. Yeah. So, so there's that, uh, that feeling among a lot of people. what the administration would like would be uh, change up to the point where you get a regime which both can maintain the integrity of the Egyptian state, uh, keep the economy going and keep order in the streets, but also uh, be willing to hold real elections. Uh, and if they can get, that would be the, the outcome which I think would be uh, most desired. Now, of course, when those elections are actually held and someone wins, are they going to be as cooperative with us? on foreign policy issues, and they, they're just not going to be, no one is going to be as cooperative as Mubarak was. But it, I, I think it's probably understood that that isn't really an option. Well, I, I, I suppose it's possible that there might be people in the White House who want the type of regime change that Rashid is talking about, where you actually have Mubarak gone, but the regime stays the same and there aren't real elections. I, I, that, that's going to be really hard for <coughs> that for people for, for whoever leads that regime to accomplish. I think. I think if Mubarak goes, that elections are probably coming. Oh, they will have elections, like I, Mubarak's elections. So. And once in this context, once you have elections, it's hard. And everyone's watching. They they take they take a life of their own in a way. Maybe presidential, but not legislative. Uh, yes. In terms of the, the geopolitical importance of Egypt, I guess, in the last few thousands of years, and, and given the current uh, interests in the region of, of America, as well as a lot of Western countries, uh, does it benefit, at the end of the day, no matter what party comes into power in Egypt, the group, uh, given that $1.5 billion to $2 billion of aid, does it pretty much mean that the end game for America is just to simply keep sponsoring whoever's there? I, I, think, I think that's an interesting point, uh, provided whoever is there is doing what we want them to do. And by the way, if all this money doesn't work, I think 
uh, in all this uh, confusion which was going on last night, I thought it was very interesting that when finally the administration came out and said that the change has to take place now, um, the response from the Egyptian regime was, we reject these pressures. So much for the billion dollars or trillion dollars or whatever we've been given yeah. them. Yeah, it's a question of survival and in and, and, and those situations you don't, but, but uh, yeah, it's, this is, now we are in the realm of complete speculation. Here. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a hard place to be. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. And, and uh, I attribute to the, that to the fact that the regime itself is divided. And that's why I'm, that is why uh, my concern is that uh, what changes we will see, given the way things are right now, it seems <coughs> to be, are going to be cosmetic changes. But they, do they divide it within the military? No, within, within the ruling circle. Oh. You, have to, you have to understand, of course, that, uh, that Egypt's uh, political leadership has come out of the military since 1952, all of them, whether it was Nasser or Sadat or Mubarak, or if this, uh, this guy becomes president now, him, uh, et cetera. So, so there has been a constant flow of senior military officers um, you know, who have ended up in the, in the political, um, and even Ahmed Shafiq is also a former military guy, the new prime minister. So, so th 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 there has been this relationship. Uh, I think what has, uh, what has been interesting is that th there has been a demilitarization in the sense that only retired army personnel are now in politics, but to believe that those links have ended is, is uh, I think, uh, being too optimistic. So, um, and, and what I found um, uh, really gratifying was uh, that the army, as I said, I suspect that somewhere along the line, there was a decision that we will use the army and they couldn't do it for whatever reason. Either because senior commanders told them that we can't guarantee uh, that the soldiers will follow orders, or somewhere down the line of command, some divisional level commander said, "Sorry, I'm not doing it. We don't know." There was a there was a, a, a retired military officer from a high position. I forget exactly his name. Yesterday, who, who said that he thought that the regime, that the pro-Mubarak supporters riding that way, was actually. Uh, meant to incite the army into taking a side and draw them into it, which is, which is very seeming, you know, that that's what happened. And if that's what happened, it's very telling that there are those, that there are those differences. I'd like to say a little bit more about, you know, this sort of blowback from the military. The United States is in a hard situation because of the, the region and how important trade and commerce and security is in that region, that they simply have to support uh, military structures for state stability. This is to answer a couple of questions here. In Yemen, they'll support the military system. In Lebanon, they'll support the military system. I think it's much more apparent for American interests, short and long term, that they simply have reliable actors and partners. And I don't really think that at this point, America is so concerned about ideology anymore. They simply want stability. And I hear that from American military personnel too, that they, you know, they're willing to work with you know, Iraqi militias as long as they don't attack them. You know, as long as they can keep the you know oil flowing and whatnot, they're okay with that. Sir, um, 
wondering how much the uh, how much of an effect uh, the lack of any like uh, coherent uh, political center or <coughs> or real uh, leadership um, of this protest movement uh, is going to is affecting its 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 capabilities right now and, and might affect its future capabilities. It's remarkable that uh, these protests which lack much of an established leadership or well-known leadership have managed just about to do away with Mubarak. That's a, that's a remarkable thing. The lack of, a, of, of well-known political parties and figures in the Egyptian center is, is really one of the most worrisome things about the whole crisis because again there has to be figures like this that need to emerge and emerge fairly quickly and Muhammad al-Baradai is probably not the guy. He, again, is someone who has uh, 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 supporters in a very narrow stratum of the Egyptian sort of westernized middle class. But the sort of, of, of folks who can attract a lot of votes and a lot of support from a broad array of Egyptian society. Again, the, the, uh, the Muslim Brotherhood is the best organized Egyptian political party. And again, I'm not predicting that they're going to win elections, but they are the existing party, <coughs> which is best placed to actually win some votes. So. Sir? Who do you think is likely to fill the back and pick up the poll to lead what has happened? If you say Bardai isn't the one that's going to contain the most support, who is likely to contain that support? Yeah, I, I, I think that, I think what, if I'm wrong, Mike, I think what Mike and I were both saying uh, was, Abbas might agree with me, that Barda is not a political leader, but I think that he has the credentials to serve as an interim president. <laughs> He's not going to lead any party to victory. I think his performance, since all the parties agreed that, they sh uh, that he should represent them in the talks, shows that he doesn't have the capacity. But he does have some international recognition. Uh, and uh, certainly the fact that he's been out of Egypt so long might actually work in his favor, yeah. uh, that he, he's not been tainted by all, by all the other stuff which has gone on in Egypt. Uh, some people have mentioned Amar Musa as another possibility, but yeah, he's, uh, he's another one of those. You might as well keep Husni in power yeah. uh, if, 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 if uh, he's going to be. Uh, just a quick note on the lack of centralization, uh, lack of uh, leadership. We saw the exact same thing in the Iranian situation two years ago, and it's actually quite frightening, and I was very afraid for this sort of Facebook force. I almost feel, and I don't mean to belittle this, but sort of like a protest flash mob, you know? <laughs> <laughs> uh, but it, the, the lack of sophistication of the rhetoric and the kind of planning and the goals and whatnot is, I mean, you're sending people out to these regimes and you're encouraging them to go out and protest and whatnot. It's just, it's just frightening, and you know, a lot of this, a lot of this you know, many of us saw coming. None of us came up with a name, really. There, that there we is said there is a there isn't someone. Not it's not as a political leader, I think. Yeah. 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 So it's, it's sorry. How do you like kind of back it off what you said? Um, the the lack of a leader and the the Facebook flash mob. How do you? Um, is it just an awesome? I don't know. How, uh, how do you account for the, the like the barricades and the jails? I mean, this is this is they're amazingly well organized. I I think I think it's fascinating. referring to the jails in the square. Yeah, I'm talking about like the barricades. That, like, they're, I mean, they're setting up centers where they're 
they're protecting, I mean, they're, they're rounding up journalisms and putting them in basements of mosques to protect them. And they're well, well, you know, we have a situation where, I mean, you've had a week of, yeah. of hard, hardcore people that are camping out there, and the kind of, the kind of uh, links of solidarity that get formed in that situation, I mean, people don't go into that square as individuals. They come with their pre you know, predetermined sort of social networks in place, and many of them are already equipped. So you can imagine that the triage centers that were set up immediately, I mean, obviously those are some kind of social force that came into play. And so it may be fascinating to us from the outside, but I think it's a pretty organic process. But that's not going to translate into the kind of ideological and political articulation needed to be able to exert pressure on the system uh, you know, in a certain way. And, and the sign of that is that 1% of the, of the, the previous days protesters were in that square yesterday. Yeah, I guess that's what I, that was my question, if you thought that that would grow out of that. Thank you. You talk about, like, the Tunisian Islamist, Islamic leader, Rashid al-Bamishi, taking Turkey as a model. Uh, my question is, do you think the Egyptian Muslim Brotherhood, they made, is, they, is, they, is it possible that they also take Turkish yeah. Islamic model, Islamic AKP party as a model for Absolutely. the future? Have they, they said anything? Because no, Rashid said, said it. Yes, yeah, Rashid said it. said it. Yeah. The Brotherhood won't say it because of its own kind of Egypt is the center of the world sort of attitude. But the fact <laughs> is, is that for, uh, you know, I'm a right? So the, the, the fact is, is that uh, for, for Sunni Islamist organizations at whatever level, Turkey was such, and the success of the Turkish model was such a breath of fresh air because all they saw was the Iranian option. And everybody had you know, gone away from that within about 18 months after the Iranian revolution. And they just thought that there was no future. But the Turkish model as a viable functional model is now sort of breathing life into the, the political dimensions of it. So, Just a point on that. Hussein Maryan, who uh, one of the leaders of the Muslim Brotherhood actually announced, he didn't call it the AK party model, but he said that we will be happy with the democracy a la Turkey. Um, with regards to what's going on, not just in Egypt, but also in Jordan and in Yemen, what does this mean for the relationship among um, Arab states, and not just Arab states, but states in the Middle East, um, Iran and Turkey and the United States? We saw Saudi Arabia's reaction to what's going on. What does that mean you know, within that region, state-to-state -state relationship? Well, the United States has been sort of operating in the past <coughs> couple of years on this alliance of, you know, the U.S., uh, Saudi Arabia, Egypt, Jordan against Syria, Iran, Hezbollah. And this throws a really, this, this makes it difficult. Uh, and I don't think it, it, it ends it because the, uh, the Saudis will still, you know, even if there's demonstrations in Saudi, Saudi public opinion is still not very friendly towards Iran. So there's still some basis for it. But it, it, it does, this is a, a big deal for American foreign policy. And they're really scrambling, I'm sure, trying to figure out how to. I, 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 think, I think we, we should not forget uh, that if Mubarak's regime, regime, not Mubarak, if the regime in Egypt changes, this will be the fourth close ally slash client state, depending on how you want to look at it, uh, <laughs> that the United States uh, is going to lose over the last couple of years in the region. Uh, I think that nobody is saying this, but I think that the change in Turkey's foreign policy is seismic. I think. These, the full implications of that has not really worked itself out in the region. Um, and of course, uh, the Lebanese government uh, lost power. Um, uh, the Tunisian government also, of course, actually model client state, as it was once called, headquarters for renditions, apparently, 
uh, is gone, and then Egypt would be the fourth one. And uh, I think that that has big implications for what we do and how we do in the region. Chip. Um, you guys have, <coughs> have all stated a bunch of political science theories implicitly, and I wondered if you wouldn't mind being more explicit about it. Um, if, for example, uh, revolutions to succeed have to be multi-class. Is this rebellion multi-class enough to, to be something, the potential for a regime change or even revolution of some sort? Second, the regime will stay in power when the, to quote Dahl, when the costs of repression um, you know, exceed the costs of toleration. Another one might be uh, democratization is possible when softliners in the opposition find a split in the military or the power in the regime and ally with softliners. <coughs> Are there softliners in the military? Are there softliners in civil society? All of this you've sort of hinted at implicitly. And you could go on to social movement theory, et cetera, et cetera, and I don't want to make this a classroom setting. But you know, are any of these political science theories relevant? Are, are you finding that they're helpful for predicting at least what's not going to happen? <laughs> I mean, I'm not the political scientist, but I started as you one. You notice the political okay. scientist kept quiet. <laughs> <laughs> I started as one, and I want to say it because I, I started as one, and I started, you know, sort of my academic interests in social movement, revolutionary theory, and whatnot. And uh, I, until last week, I, I didn't, I didn't think sort of narratives of of uh, rising expectations and whatnot could be causal explanations, but uh, but I would return to it, uh, you know, thinking about Egypt and the Iranian green wave and, and whatnot. I don't think they're sufficient. I've, I've moved long away from sort of uh, the rational actor theories that undergird all of those sort of different competing ideas, and I've moved much more towards sort of the aesthetics of political action, and I think that um, in moments of fluidity like this, uh, symbols and you know battle scenes like this and YouTube scenes like this m can play much more of an effect than, than we might imagine. You know, I don't know how logical any of this could actually be. You know, rendered. I I'm only trying to address one of the issues you raised. Uh, is this a multi-class movement? Um, Which is why Iran fizzled out. Yeah, I I think it is certainly much more multi-class than what we saw in Iran. Maybe we hear. See, the problem of, of, with us is this: uh, we 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 are listening to uh, CNN or we are listening to Al Jazeera English, most of us, right? and they are interviewing the articulate English speakers. Mm -hmm. right? But these are not the only people out there. Right? So it's the same old story, you know. We we only hear uh, the people who we can understand. Uh, if one is to believe Al Jazeera's commentary, though, they constantly point out that there are all kinds of social classes out there among the people who are demonstrating. Right? People from uh, from Mohandasin and Mahdi and those upper class, well, Mohandasin is no longer upper class, but you know, uh, better off areas, uh, or from uh, the old city of Cairo and places like that, which generally tend to be more poor in terms of social economic class, uh, in terms of level of education and so on. I think that defections from the Ministry of uh, Information and Broadcasting, as you saw recently, uh, or, um, or judges, apparently a whole bunch of judges joined the protests the day before yesterday and demanded that the government quit. So, you know, I think that it is more than just uh, the Twitter, Facebook crowd out there. Uh, we hear a lot more from them because they're articulate and they really are. You know, you hear them speak and you say, wow, these guys are really good at expressing what they want to express. 
Um, but I'm sure there are other other groups of people out there who might not know English or French or Spanish or whatever. It's the forces it within this multi-class yeah. movement, though, the tensions between them uh, and the inability to, s to sustain that unity that, that will cause it to fizzle out. The problem with Mubarak leaving is then they won't have a common enemy. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, it's kind of like previous comments about the relationships between among air states. Do you think that could, worst, worst case, bring out like an all-out war, especially bringing in Israel and Iran? Has to, uh, you know, being there's always room for things to get worse, one, but I don't see One it. rumor doing the rounds last night was that uh, the people doing the shooting were Israeli agents. <laughs> of course they were. They're everywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I, <laughs> so, so, yeah. I, I, I do think the Israeli military understands that war with Israel is a losing proposition. And even if there's changes among, you know, the, the top leadership, they, they still understand this. So, uh, we have... Yeah, we are, in fact. I really, I, I thank you all for coming. I apologize to those of you who didn't get a chance to ask a question. There were just a lot of questions here. Uh, so.